This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. Welcome to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. I'm Renee Frazier, the founder and CEO of Frazier Communications, the leading woman-owned advertising and communications firm in Southern California at Frazier Communications. We use communications to make the world a better place. Our job is to change behaviors, grow brands, and positively impact society. We work on things like Talk, Read, Sing, the campaign across the state of California for First Five to remind parents of the importance of early brain development and actively talking, reading, and singing the moment children are born. We also handle COVID-19 communications with the LA Department of Public Health and do a number of other projects for HealthNet, Lexus, Hyundai, clients of that nature. But The Deciders is all about featuring journalists, researchers, leaders in their fields, and change agents. We ask people to reveal information, share insights that help us as we guide our businesses and we contribute to our communities. Did you know that there are 10 million children in the United States who are living below the poverty line? A recent national study found that at least 56% of Los Angeles households have money problems and those problems are much made much more severe by the pandemic, and they can lead to poverty and food insecurity issues for children. Well, my guest today is going to talk about this issue and reveal some fascinating research that has been shared in the last two years. He is a distinguished professor of education at the University of California, Irvine. He was chair of the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine Study Group. This is the study group that was asked by Congress in 2015 to examine what would it take to reduce child poverty in America by at least 50%. That report was issued in 2019, and he's going to share the results with us. Please welcome my guest today. Welcome to the Deciders, Professor and Chair of the National Study of a Roadmap to Reducing Child Poverty, Greg Duncan. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thank you, Renee. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, you have uh, made the case for a national child allowance, uh, and you mentioned there are other countries that offer income subsidies to families with children, and that this would significantly reduce child poverty. I I definitely want to focus in on that. I I think it'd be good for you to establish for us the credentials of what the National Academy of Sciences is and why it was chosen to do this report, just to set the groundwork. Sure. Uh, The National Academy was chartered in 1863 in the middle of the uh, Civil War. It was set up as an independent uh, organization to provide advice to the nation and has always maintained this independent status. uh, And government agencies, foundations, uh, companies sometimes uh, come to the National Academy and ask it to study different kinds of topics. So all over the place, poverty, but defense uh, issues, uh, they do a a lot of different um, study commissions every year. And ours was mandated by Congress uh, with this mandate to try to develop ideas for reducing child poverty in half in 10 years. Now, Let's talk about what poverty actually costs the United States. Uh, we're going to talk about the answers that the uh, 
the report reports, but growing up in poverty really affects child development in so many ways. I talked about the neuroscience. As a result, what does it cost our country in terms of reparative work and and how do we and other things that are done for children as a result of growing up in poverty? There have been several studies that have tried to estimate this. Uh, you can think of uh, a childhood poverty as potentially affecting um, someone's health over their whole life, mm-hmm. someone's labor market productivity, um, someone's behavior. Uh, if, in fact, they uh, commit crimes, crimes are costly to society. So there have been attempts to estimate what the aggregate cost is. Uh, Every year, uh, the estimate is that child poverty costs the nation uh, between $800 billion and a trillion dollars a year. So every year, uh, every year right. So those figures, the around a trillion dollars uh, for the total reduction, elimination of poverty, uh, is an important um, number to keep in mind as you think about the costs of various kinds of poverty reduction programs that we have in our report. Well, let's talk about the uh, child uh, poverty reduction programs. Uh, If you would explain the methodology and and then let's get to the conclusions. Sure. Well, our charge was to think very broadly about uh, different ways in which child poverty might be reduced. Uh, We we deliberated for two and a half years altogether. Uh, we had public hearings. We really tried to cast a very wide net to try to get ideas for uh, policies and programs that might taken individually or taken together, uh, reduce poverty by as much as 50%. So we uh, considered uh, work incentive programs, things like expanding the earned income tax credit, uh, things like uh, expanding the child and dependent care tax credit, minimum wage. Uh, we um, tried to identify uh, training programs that seemed to be successful uh, and found one of those. But uh, other things like expanding existing safety net programs like the food stamp program, SNAP, housing vouchers, uh, and um, immigration uh changes. Uh, Now we have a lot of restrictions on receipt of benefits from certain immigrant groups. So we, you know, we were not, we were not trying to be liberal or conservative. Uh, We were trying to come up with a whole range of programs that, um, that might be considered by policymakers. We we don't make any recommendations, but we offer up for consideration uh, a set of about 20 programs, including uh, this child allowance that you talked about. So the child allowance itself, we actually have a kind of child allowance now in the United States. Uh, It's called the child tax credit. Uh, And if you're uh, paying uh, taxes, uh, federal income taxes, you get about $2,000 or exactly $2,000 per child per year taken off your tax bill, right? But you need to have taxable income for you to receive that benefit. So families earning as much as $400,000 a year are getting $2,000 per child per year uh, taken off their tax bill. So we really do have a a child allowance. We, We call it a child tax credit. It's paid once a year. 
And the idea that the committee had was to uh, replace that child tax credit with uh, what we called a child allowance, which would be $2,000 per child per year, all the way up to $400,000, but uh, it would go all the way down to $0, right? So it wouldn't have this restriction that uh, you needed to have a certain amount of taxable income. Uh, anyone with children with income below 400,000 would be eligible. Uh, and uh, we also um, uh, tested out a $3,000 per child per year version of that. Um, and, you know, by testing it out, we had available to us a big micro simulation program that would um, estimate what the reduction in child poverty was, but also what sort of change in work effort there would be if a particular program were put in place. If you think about the- Would people still work if they got that kind of money? Would they still get employment? Is that what you mean? Right. How much, you know, we have about 26 million uh, adults living in low-income households. And we estimate by how much would that increase or decrease uh, if we instituted every one of our 20 programs, right? So in the case of a child allowance, for example, this $2,000 child allowance, we estimated that about 55,000 fewer adults would be employed. Um, on the other hand, a program like expanding the earned income tax credit could uh, increase employment by 300,000 adults, 400,000. Increase employment. Well, yeah, these are work incentive programs. Mm -hmm. An earned income tax credit uh, gives you a credit for your earned income. If you don't have any earned income, you don't, right, you don't, um, receive, it. Right. Yeah, don't receive anything. Mm -hmm. So in effect, it's a wage subsidy and it increases your, your wage rate by about 40%. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of the ideas that we had was to change the earned income tax credit that would increase that subsidy to about 80%. So instead of, if you have $10 an hour job, instead of getting the $4 uh, per hour that the current earned income tax credit pays, it would be $8 more in the form of the tax credit. Wow. So that has a powerful uh, positive impact on work. And I think one of the um, important insights that we had was you know, you can think about these programs individually, but if you think about combining them, combine this child allowance with an earned income tax credit expansion, um, you can get very substantial poverty reduction and very substantial increases uh, in employment. So this kind of conundrum of, well, if we pay more money to low-income families are going to work less, you can get around that by combining uh, program ideas. I like that a lot. That's fascinating. I, we, my company just won the assignment for uh, promoting the earned income tax credit the California House. Mm -hmm. You get up to $2,000 with the income under $30,000. And uh, we see it as a poverty reduction program. Did you study those as augments as well, the state as well as the federal or primarily? Well, federal? We restricted our attention to federal programs, but uh, you can get a good idea of what a state uh, supplement might look like. You know, the California case is very interesting because, you know, $1,000 of the, the state uh, earned income tax uh, credit um, goes to everyone earning at least a dollar of taxable income. Mm -hmm. So it, the normal rules of the earned income tax credit are suspended and you, it, the, I, the state really wants to try to promote um, knowledge about this new tax credit that they put in place because 
uh, it's available to, to families who are probably going to need it the most. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's, but I'm, I'm, I'm interested in hearing about this combination. So the actual, just to look at the, uh, uh, the uh, child allowance, the amount that came out best or that at least was commendable, because you said you tested um, 3,000 and 2,000? That's right. What was the difference that you saw? Was it in the unemployment or the unemployment side? The, uh, well, the three thousand um, dollar child allowance <clears throat> would be associated with less employment, uh, and uh, I think it was about one hundred and twenty thousand uh, fewer employed with the three thousand dollar child allowance. Fifty five thousand fewer employed with the two thousand dollar child allowance. So, uh, you know, as you would expect, the more generous a program is, if it's a pure income support program, uh, the more negative the um, the employment effects. But right. by the same token, I, one of the kind of takeaways was, you know, you can change income support programs, make SNAP more generous, make housing vouchers more generous, mm-hmm. uh, have this child allowance, all of those things reduce employment by up to maybe 150,000 uh, people. Uh, on the other hand, you can um, tr- perhaps in combination have expansions to the earned income tax credit. Uh, we've got a, a change to the child and dependent care tax credit. Um, and those have much larger positive effects on employment than these income support changes do negative effects, right? So that gets you back to how valuable it is to think not one at a time, but rather in combination. But in combination. Now, let's also go back to the point made at the beginning, that child poverty is costing us maybe a trillion dollars a year. So uh, that, uh, that means that if we if we instituted the, the, poly, the child allowance, we could be paying less, right, down the road every year as those children get older and older. Because I believe it's for children under the age of six. Is that right? Um, well, our um, our proposal was uh, regardless of age. Um, there up are. To age I'm sorry. Well, up to age eighteen, then. Uh, up to age seventeen is what 17. we. Yeah, right. Is what we considered. Um, there have been variations. Um, for example, the the three trillion dollar CARES Act that was uh, passed by the House yes. um, that had a one year child allowance in it that was three thousand dollars for children over uh, the age of six and thirty five hundred dollars for children under six. Right. There's a there's a case to be made for uh, some differentiation with a more generous payment to families of very young kids than because it. Uh, it's just uh, income is lower when you've got young kids, uh, careers are less established, uh, things are more unstable. Childcare, so, there can be childcare issues, right? When you have a four, three or four or five-year-old, whereas when they're older, they're in a school system. Yeah. And if you look at the brain science, right, that, that's the time when uh, a lot of the action is happening. So a lot of things argue for making sure that this this happens in the very early years of childhood. Right. Well, you know, I think the the findings are really outstanding and that, you know, when you weigh the cost uh, and you mentioned the CARES Act, so three trillion, I, I believe the estimate for a program of this nature would be around a hundred million dollars a year. Yeah, if you, well, we, we did several different packages, right? And, you know, if you combine the earned income tax credit and the child allowance, 
Uh, it's about $33 billion a year. Um, and it gets you about maybe a 35% reduction in child poverty, not 50%. If you go all the way up to 50%, then you get up to an expenditure of more like $100 billion a year. Um, so uh, there's a big step up from, uh, you know, 35% to 50%. Uh, but even the $100 billion a year, that was, is reducing poverty by half. And you need to be thinking about that relative to the billion dollars of cost uh, that you, you might save if there was complete poverty reduction. Exactly, exactly. And you have to look at the longer term consequences, health issues, as we talked about crime, et cetera. You know, one of the points that uh, 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 Jason LaPerle made in his article in the New York Times where he cited your research and in our interview with him is he talked about how the social context is changing. The willingness to even think about this uh, has opened up. Uh, tell me about your perspective on that and what evidence you're seeing of a shift in people's willingness to even consider money being given to families as a child allowance and uh, an increase in the uh, earned income tax credit. Well, the Earned Income Tax Credit has always been a very popular program. Uh, you know, it both provides economic support for low-income families and encourages work. So, you know, it really started during the Reagan administration and became more generous over time. So it's always enjoyed bipartisan support. Um, on the other hand, programs like uh, the uh, like food stamps and uh, housing vouchers, you know, have always been controversial. Uh, child tax credit uh, has been uh, popular, but it's, as we said originally, it's con constrained to families that have a lot of taxable income, right? So it's it, it's not a program that directly supports low-income families. So, um, you know, beginning um, maybe three or four years ago, uh, there was a proposal from um, two senators, uh, Bennett and Brown, uh, that would uh, have a child allowance of up to $2,000 per year. Um, and two years ago, Mitt Romney and Michael Bennett uh, proposed a, a child allowance that would have at least $1,000 of, of a not tied to taxable income at all component to it. And um, so there have been ideas about this. You know, I think the uh, the universal basic income uh, movement has gotten people thinking about this, too. It's really very different because that money goes to adults. Right. But what really has loosened it up is uh, is COVID and this realization that we need to put money into the pockets of Americans so that they can sustain the economic activity. Um, so the idea of, you know, a two trillion dollar, one trillion dollar uh, aid package uh, was just inconceivable before COVID. Um, so that, and then, you know, with the CARES Act uh, proposal, all of a sudden it's $3 trillion and it's got a child allowance in it. So I think people um, have become uh, aware of some of these proposals and uh, they're more open to it because I, I think they understand that a lot of the instability, uh, a lot of the uh, employment instability in particular for uh, low-income parents uh, is really something that's not completely under their control. And especially with unemployment as high as it is, right, I think the the case for the need for some kind of minimum floor 
uh, is more compelling to some people. And I might say, you know, at the same time, there's there's this kind of strain of thought from conservatives um, that uh, people at the National Review, for example, there's a uh, Nix Cannon Institute that's libertarian. You know, libertarians have uh, championed a, a child support negative income tax kind of idea all the way back to Milton Friedman back in the 1950s and 1960s. So they're pushing a, a, a child allowance idea also. So it's this kind of weird alliance between liberals uh, and then libertarian conservatives. Another part of the report uh, tries to dis- distill the academic research on the impacts of poverty. And that's been very controversial. Some people think uh, if you provide safety net relief, uh, parents will work less, children will grow up in families, uh, seeing less work being done by their parents. And this will create an intergenerational cycle of poverty, right? So, you know, if the work impacts were that big and if the, the role modeling were that strong, you could you could think there might be something going on here. But uh, the evidence that we reviewed um, looked, for example, at what happened when the food stamp program was rolled out. Uh, what happened when the earned income tax credit was made more generous? Were kids worse off or were kids better off? And uh, by and large, that literature, this is one of the conclusions of the report, um, shows that uh, poverty does indeed hurt kids, that income is the active ingredient, uh, at least one of the active ingredients that uh, causes uh, birth weight to be lower, that uh, worsens child health, worsens child achievement. And even some of these studies, the food stamp study I mentioned, for example, tracks people into adulthood and find that they have more cardiovascular problems uh, if they grew up in counties that didn't have uh, food stamps back in the 1970s compared with kids who might have lived, you know, two miles away in a county that did have food stamps. So uh, the evidence is much less ambiguous now than it used to be. And we try to review that also in our report. I hope people know that, you know, I I think you're right. The evidence is there, but uh, I, I I don't know if people sense of you know that is that it reflects that rea- that truth in terms of the research, but um, I'm suggesting I think there has been a shift when I when we we talked to uh, Jason uh, Laparle from the uh, the uh, New York Times he mentioned that the impact on unemployment of people not working was pretty small I believe he said one third of one percent. Uh, That's the 55,000 figure that I talked about. Got it. Got right. It. If you kind of translate that into the reduction from 26 million, it's really a very, very, very small, small percentage reduction. Okay. Uh, but, you know, the other point is that don't think about the child allowance by itself. Combine it with a work incentive program that will, yeah. that will reverse yeah. that uh, that negative impact and make a much more positive impact. I think you're absolutely right. And it, it, it serves both sides of the argument, if you will, as you're saying. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Greg, is there anything you'd like to see happen with this report that hasn't happened yet that you'd like to put out there that you feel if this just was taken as a step forward, things would be better? What would you recommend? Well, I, I would keep coming back to this package idea. You know, I think as we we did a lot of briefings on Capitol Hill, we've gone around to states and talked to uh, state legislators and you know, by and large, 
uh, people, the uh, the policymakers themselves, the staff, um, they like to think about single programs. Mm-hmm. You know, they're earned income tax credit people. They don't want to think about other things. Mm-hmm. They're food stamp people. Uh, and um, it's very hard to, you know, people will say, well, you can't think about food stamps and the earned income tax credit because food stamps are over in the Department of Agriculture, <laughs> you know, but, but even but, – if you think about the earned income tax credit and uh, and the child allowance, both of those are part of our tax system, mm-hmm. right? So it doesn't take two different bureaucracies coordinating. It just takes a broader-minded uh, policymaker thinking about changing two things at the same time. Um, so, uh, you know, we're trying to push that as persistently as we can, uh, and we run up against this you know, monoprogram kind of mentality that people have. But if there's one thing I would hope that we can uh, break through more is this idea that you really need to put several things on the table. And by combining them, you can get the best of both worlds. I love that idea, Greg. I will say as a communications person, I think there's a way to link them together. And let's hope we see that in, uh, in future political discussions. Thank you so much for sharing the research with us, Greg. This has been very interesting. Great to talk to you, Doreen. Thank you. Well, we've been able to listen to uh, Professor Greg Duncan, all the deciders, as she shared with us the National Academies of Sciences report and study group on child poverty. We see the the advantage of increasing the earned income tax credit and the child allowance. So we still get people working, but we're also able to supplement families and help them strengthen their children's, their health care and their lives. Thank you for listening to The Deciders with Renee Frazier. As you know, I run Frazier Communications, a full-service marketing and advertising communications firm. If you'd like to talk with us about how we can help grow your business or your brand or your nonprofit, contact us at FrazierCommunications.com. And you can find our past shows as podcasts at FrazierCommunications.com. Have a great week ahead. Please stay safe, wear face coverings when outside, practice social distancing and hygiene. Have a good week ahead. This show is pre-recorded and furnished by Frasier Productions. 